Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. So would you guys advise a company coming, like thinking about raising money in this environment? Like, you know, because you want to have a big end goal, right? You need to have a big vision for your business. And is that a trajectory that you think companies should be thinking about? Like, obviously, we've got a product today, and maybe it's a remote collaboration product, but from a strategy standpoint, should they be thinking about and starting to weave a story around how do we get to become a player in the metaverse? Or how would you look at that? Would you be like, oh, that sounds like bullshit? Or like, what what are you looking for? Because people that are watching the show are going to be like, all right, I'm going to need to raise some money at some point for my business, whether it's today or in the future. You know, how do you see that? Should they all be thinking about that? Or is that just... I think all investors are excited by big visions. We all want to be excited by, by, by the founders' big visions, being, feeling like they're taking a bold stance on a problem that none of us have, have thought of before. So that big vision is definitely very important in creating the excitement and the reason to believe in betting on founders early. But that being said, clearly your near-term revenue model needs to exist. Your product market fit needs to be there. Uh, you need to provide a path to that ultimate big vision. I think that applies to businesses small and big, uh, but most definitely in the riskier early stage investments. Yeah. yeah, and I wouldn't, I mean, we're going to have a vaccine eventually, right? A year, year and a half down the road. And I think the metaverse, from a t- t- technological perspective, you know, the size of the lenses, the comfort, the pass-through capabilities, et cetera, we're a ways away from people being able to kind of, you know, put on a pair of goggles for, you know, 10 or 12 hours comfortably. So I wouldn't hang a hat on this and say, this is going to be my exit in five years. You, can't, you know, the pandemic, we're not going to be sheltering in place, I don't hope, right, in, in a year and a half. What are the challenges? Like, so when, when people come to you with decks or pitches or whatever, what are some of the big mistakes you see them make? And and what did, what's, you know, top advice of what, what to do or not to do when formulating, you know, their investor pitch? This is kind of a classic one, but I, I do think it's important for entrepreneurs to do a bit of research before uh, approaching a given investor. And it doesn't have to be, you know, hours worth of stocking by any means. In fact, you can certainly go overboard with that. But Doing a bit of background, understanding what we invest in, understanding what our portfolio looks like, and being able to target the pitch accordingly. And a really simple and obvious example for us is we get a fair amount of decks from all male teams. And that's a pretty obvious part of our brand and thesis that we are looking for the gender diverse teams. And to me, that's just an obvious indicator that they're just kind of, you know, spraying that deck out to everyone and they haven't really looked into why we would or wouldn't be a good fit. And so just that bit of background research ahead of time goes a long way in catering the pitch accordingly. For me, it's a lot about uh, this this actual substance. We all reach thousands of decks all, all the time, and we are very used to seeing a lot of hyped up attraction and a lot of logos with nothing there or not a lot of substance. And it's very easy for investors to see through that. So I think what I appreciate most in founders is being honest with, with what where they stand uh, in terms of their product, their commercial progress, their partnership status, what the truth really is. We hear a lot of pompous or overhyping of, of, of situations and partnerships that are just a big minus on credibility uh, immediately. Uh, I think that's a big mistake that some founders uh, easily make, especially for the first impression. Um, I think that's something to avoid to be really truthful in where you are versus pumping it up um, and over-exaggerating things. 
Yeah, somebody just yeah. posted a comment, uh, and maybe you can take this, Angela, because you're going to talk, but don't talk about the product and the investor pitch. Rather, focus on the customer and the problem the startup solves. How do you guys feel about that? I think people overemphasize sometimes their product, right? They just fall in love with it so much, they don't pay attention to anything else, and they'll have like two or three pages on just the product. And it's like, stop. Like, what? You know, I, let's say someone's never made an investment in the XR space, right? You kind of need to tell a story. And, you know, lots of people will tell you how to tell this story, right? But like, what's the market size? What is the problem? What is your solution? Why are you better than the competition? What's your business unit economics? What's your go-to-market? What's your team? You know, and it, it's like, and how we're going to use the money. It's pretty straightforward. So people really just sometimes just talk about their baby and and don't kind of consider the, the bigger context in which is operating and which we're assessing companies. Yeah. I want to, Pearl, yeah. you, before, before you go, Ryan, I want to, one of the things you talked about is being realistic. And one of the things I loved about Sandbox's pitch that Andreessen showed on their YouTube channel was how they led with the negative. And I thought that was just a really bold but authentic and honest approach that obviously worked for them. Do you see any of that out there or was that really a unique approach? No, absolutely. No, no. I, I definitely see founders who are very realistic and pragmatic, and that definitely scores credibility points in us, you know, increasing the, the willingness to continue to engage. If you know that you can trust what a founder is saying. So I think that substance is, is really, really important in engaging with the investor. Yeah, and I lost my train of thought on the other point I wanted to make. But we <laughs> so Ryan, you were going to jump in and maybe Pearly will get her thought back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, basically, one of the common issues that I see when I listen to the pitches is that um, there are so many reference to like, oh, by year like 2025 or um, oh, what time uh, VRR will be such a big market, right? I think, you know, the, the whole VRR being a big market, the statement itself is a vision, right? And as entrepreneurs, um, we should not confuse vision with facts, right? So it may happen, it may not happen. And I still remember like when I, just, when I started investing in the VRAR sector five years ago, there has been a lot of people talking about like by year 2020, VRAR will become uh, what kind of market, right? <laughs> so I think, you know, the right way of think about this problem as an entrepreneur is that uh, what kind of problem can you solve today? How can you deliver value today, right? And also to the vision that we were talking about, right? What is the path to that vision? And what's your contribution to that path, right? How can you, what can you do to make that thing a reality, right? So it's kind of like, don't ask what the XR industry can do for you. Ask what you can do for the industry, right? <laughs> how can you make changes and how can you make impact? And I think, you know, those kind of questions are exactly what make the fact that being in the XR industry is an exciting thing. And uh, living through this time is an exciting timing as well. You see this a lot with AR companies, right? Sometimes just like, okay, not all our customers are going to have hollow lenses or magic leaps or whatever. So they're actually meeting customers where they are and saying like, hey, you can do this on a phone or a tablet, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like, yeah. yeah, don't wait for your fantastic world that's not going to be around for five or 10 years. Actually just meet your customer needs and appreciate you're doing this problem solving via a tool, which happens to be AR, VR, which we all love, but it can't just be the end all and be all just for itself. 
So yeah, one of the I remember one what the, I wanted to say. Yeah, great. Thanks, Willie. Really. Go. <laughs> no, no, I, I just wanted to say uh, on the understanding of your com- competition landscape, competitive landscape. As Angela said, it's very straightforward process. A few points that you need to make to to go through a, a coherent pitch. But I often see founders uh, fumble in the competitive landscape part. They don't understand their competition. They have very shallow or surface understanding what their competition actually does. Uh, and for us, it's very easy to tell that if you, if you actually don't know how you position versus the rest of the, the market in competition, then then you don't really know what game you're up against. So I would say be really go deep uh, into understanding what your competitors are doing. So yeah, as, as, like an investor would, even wearing an entrepreneur hat or building something competitive. Yeah, I, I can't tell you, you know, I run workshops on go-to-market strategy, and I can't tell you how many companies I've gone to who haven't tried any of their competitors' products. Like they haven't even tried them. And I'm like, I know more about your competition than you do. How is, like, what? maybe that does make sense because that's all I do is travel around and try VR. But yeah, shocking to me how widespread that is. I actually ask all the people I t- start taking semi-seriously, like, don't give me a two-by-two on two your competition. Tell me the five or six top competitors. Tell me the five or six purchase criteria and tell me how you stack up against them, right? And I do this basically, so I learn, but it's also like, do you have an honest and realistic assessment of all the things that are going to affect your your purchase process and your and your customer journey and your product market fit? Like, if you don't know who some of your customers are or your competitors are, it's just like, stop. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the earlier questions came up around how you guys feel about some of the things that the bigger companies, I'll focus on Facebook you know, with what they're doing and the billion people in VR and, and live maps and, you know, and recreating a digital version of the world and some of the history of Facebook and some of the things they've done with Cambridge Analytica, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the darker sides of VR that you guys are concerned about? And what opportunities might there be? Ryan, you talked about blockchain and avatar security, which I think is a big one that I'm looking for somebody doing some space in that area. What's the shadow side of VR and what are the opportunities you see for companies to be able to step into that and solve some of those problems? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the common issues we see in, especially in a social VR environment, is um, the standard for social behavior, right? Because, you know, VR AR is a very immersive and uh, sometimes very intimate situation. And uh, uh, when you are in a social VR environment, the way on how you behave can make an impact to the people around you, right? And there are many details into this problem, like how you talk and where you stand when you are talking to other people and what kind of behavior should be encouraged and what kind of behavior should not be encouraged, right? So I think, uh, you know, at this point, uh, a number of uh, social VR platforms have introduced some, you know, a, a standard and guideline towards a... Um, a well-behaved social behavior in the uh, in the VR settings, but I think uh, you know this kind of knowledge need to be passed to uh, a wider audience so that everyone, when they when they are you know entering into a new virtual world, they understand that their impact can be can be hurtful to other people, and they should be care about you know their behavior just like how they care about you know their behavior in, in the physical world. Yeah, so we need like a virtual boarding school to send people through. So they look. <laughs> yeah, some, some kind of guidelines. I think you know most people, as long as they are using their common sense, uh, it's good enough. But um, at the same time, you know, 
what we have seen in the in the gaming industry, for example, there are a lot of like uh, bullying in the in the esports world, and yeah. uh, people are kind of shit talking each other, and um, you know it's just not very good behavior, and you know it it can be hurtful to the people uh, yeah. around you. So I think you know in in VR, it's it's actually taking the the sensitivity to a brand new level. And uh, especially for people who haven't spent a long time in that virtual world, they need to understand that their behavior may have a consequence on the other people. Yeah. Another big concern I see is just the amount of information, right? Once you get eye tracking and cognitive and emotional and other things from people when they're wearing their headset, it's not voluntary. It's like, oh, you have a concussion or you're going to develop Parkinson's or these are things that are still being developed and these can be used for tremendous good and benefit when you're doing having training for someone or if you want to do a, a physical health checkup for somebody. But you can imagine the invasions of privacy that can happen if people and companies aren't, you know, appropriate stewards of people's information. I was just going to say, and I think in addition to some of the privacy concerns about the information that's being gathered, there's also a concern around just, you know, the beautiful thing about VR is how visceral it is and how real it can feel. But the dark side of that is that 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 can invoke trauma and that if people don't necessarily understand the experience and the content they're about to view, and if it's violent or, you know, has some kind of sexual content or something that that could really um, hurt a person's psyche or or, or you know, bring up past trauma uh, that is is felt far more viscerally and deeply in VR than it would be in another medium. And so, you know, creators need to be really intentional about providing um, some kind of guidance ahead of time about what the the content will be, and getting consent for those you know experiences that are potentially traumatic for for certain people. And, and maybe some sort of better, more intuitive filtering systems for people to. You know, I think we've we've developed over decades, you know, rating systems and stuff. And I think none of that yet, in you know, is available in the VR space. So we're, again, like an example, applying the old ratings to the new system. And there's very different impact, as you've said. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. Pearly, you, any, any final words from you um, on this Nothing or anything? Nothing specific to this question, Jack. No. Any any last words from anybody? How do you what what advice do you give people, and how do they? Are you open to to outreach, and if so, how do they get in touch with you guys? I'm going to echo what yes. Pearly said. Oh, yes, no, 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 go ahead. Yes, always looking for for founders to work with. We're all looking for yeah, exactly. We're all looking for smart, interesting people that we could help and work with, and and be mutually beneficial to each other. I'm very easy to reach. Angelo at hp.com. If I think there's a fit, I will respond to you. So I would just say, please think about your solution and say like, yeah, this makes sense for HP or HTC or Ryan or Christina and Amy, right? It's just like, think about what you're doing and we'll try to give us some thought and respond. Yeah, we're, um, you can reach us on Twitter or uh, through the website and I'm Martina at WSR Fund. And we are always looking for new companies and I think now is a as good as time as any to jump in and start building. I think that that's always my advice for prospective founders is just start building, start experimenting. And, you know, now you might have the time to do so even more than previously. So uh, I hope we see some, I know we will see some really fantastic, unique companies emerge from this. And I encourage anyone listening to consider themselves someone who could build that. And build a diverse team along the way because you'll get a yes, better result. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
call me Ryan at outpostvc.com and um, definitely echoing what uh, Angelo and uh, Martina just mentioned. We uh, we are looking for talented people to work with, and uh, you know we love uh, new ideas and uh, uh, new opportunities, right? And I think uh, you know this pandemic could be a double-edged sword. It can make a lot of things worse, but uh, it's also a great timing for a lot of other things, right? So let's leverage that situation and, um, you know, I welcome many conversations as well. Well, if anybody needs help getting in touch, you can always get me at VRBob at BobCooney.com. And, and if, you, if you need some help figuring out how to, how to position your deck before you send it off, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I've, I've raised a little bit of money in my career. Um, guys, I can't thank you enough for everything you're doing for the industry, taking the time to educate people. You know, raising money is a big piece of the puzzle for any entrepreneur. And, and you guys are all doing foundational work for, you know, for the community and, and for entrepreneurs. And, you know, that's my passion is, is I know how hard entrepreneurs work. And they sacrifice so much to have their visions come to reality. And, they, and without the support of, of you guys and people like you, it wouldn't be possible. So I hope you guys all stay safe, stay well. I hope you all make shit tons of money in the coming years <laughs> for you and your investors. <laughs> and uh, I will see everybody on Friday where we're going to be talking about some of the stuff that Ryan talked about. We're going to be talking about VR fitness interviewed the people at the VR Health Institute and some of the work they're doing, which is fascinating. And I'm going to bring to you um, an interview I did with Doug Griffin at Loom.ai, which is doing AI-powered avatars. So you did a great, um, a great commercial for my Friday show, Ryan. I appreciate it. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you for your questions out there. Thank you. Thank you guys again. I look forward to seeing you in real life at some point soon. Do, I'll be doing a big virtual hug. Can we do a big virtual Oh, is that, is that okay? Virtual hugs are safe, right? All right, cool. So. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, thank you. Bye. That's the end of this interview. We hope you really enjoyed it. There's plenty more resources on Bob's website, which is www.bobcooney.com, or you can find us on all the usual podcast places. We look forward to seeing you again. <laughs>